I love how we sang that song when the roll is called up yonder. But here's the problem. Is that there are a lot of people who think that they're on the roll, but in reality they're not. There's a lot of people who have a false sense of salvation that was based on a prayer they prayed or a decision they've made, or it actually can be based on a host, a number of other things, and they think their name's on the roll, but it's not. And we're going to use this story that Jesus said to illustrate what are three types of false convert and the first type of true convert. And the story Jesus told, which I'm sure he did a better, did, better job than I did, is in Matthew chapter 13. I'd like us to turn there. Here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to spend a few weeks in November talking about the kingdom of God. And if there's any little kids that are in my hearing or any parents and you've taken your kids to a place called the magic kingdom, you will understand that that's one of the most magical places on the earth. Don't matter if you're 70 or 7, that's a pretty cool place to go all out. But what I wanted to talk about for a few weeks was the non-magic kingdom which is the kingdom of God. Most of the times, our children that we raise in America are more infatuated with imagination than they are with the reality of who they are in Christ. They would rather dress up like a princess than understand that through Christ they can be a princess or a prince or a son of the Most High God and literally reign because of the throne of Jesus Christ. So I want to compare and contrast these two. That's what I set out to do. But as I started approaching the scripture when Jesus gave this discourse of the kingdom, I realized that he started off by showing who is in and who is not in. And that's where we must start off today. So here's Matthew 13. This is what the word of God says. Starting in verse 3, as he's speaking, paraphrasing parables to them he says behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and immediately they sprang up but because they did not have depth of earth when the sun was up they were scorched because they had no root and withered away and some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Whenever Jesus said this, he who has ears, let them hear, he's saying, I just said something really important. And you must need the Holy Spirit to decipher this. This was his code word for the Holy Spirit. He who has ears... Let him hear. So if we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to interpret this passage in a spiritual manner. And what it does is it shows us four times of what we would call conversions. Three which are false, one which is true. And this is not intended to be an angry message. Because, I mean, I'm happy today. I'm happier than a policeman in a Krispy Kreme. I'm a pretty happy guy. But this is a reality message, that there are people within the fold of our church. See, there's no policemen in the first service. They're all in the second service. So I can say that. (laughs) But this is a reality message, that there's people within the fold of the church who are not on the roll. 
I'm not talking about a physical role. I'm talking about a spiritual role. So let's look at the four types that Jesus puts out. First is he refers to the one who does not understand. The one who does not understand. That first type of seed which fell to the wayside or which fell on the path was quickly devoured by birds. And what happens is later on down the passage, Jesus gives the explanation. You can find the explanation in that same chapter in verse 19. It says, when anyone hears the word, uh, the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. It's sowing someone who received the word. They received the message about the kingdom. But the enemy, the devil, came and snatched it away so that they could not comprehend it. The first type of false convert is the one who does not understand. There are many in the church that have no clue how they got there. They have no clue why they stay there. And they have no clue what they are doing there. It would amaze you how many people are in this church, not this church, but the church, large metaphor, and they don't know how they ended up there. Maybe they ended up, well, this is what my mama always did. Maybe they ended up in the church because, you know what, Uh, uh, I really liked the preacher. There's all kind of reasons people end up in the church, but once they get there, they don't really know why, and they don't know why they stay there. It's because they don't understand the gospel. And they're there for reasons other than salvation through Jesus Christ. They're there for religious reasons. They're there because they think that their efforts, they're there because they think when they get to heaven, Jesus is going to check the Sunday school attendance role. That's not the role that's called up yonder. Jesus doesn't call the roll. Uh, mixed median adults, you were present 49 out of 52 Sundays. Come on in. That's not the role. The role is the spiritual role. He does not check the tithe roll when it's called up yonder. Some people think, well, I don't go to church, but it's okay because every five years I give them $10,000. I do my good deeds and God's going to weigh my good and my bad. And because I give my money, I'm going to be on that roll. That's not the case. They don't understand the gospel. There are those who don't understand why they're there. And there are even ones who are involved in countless programs and activities. Involved in, I would even hate to say, leadership positions. Pastors of churches who are preaching false gospels. They're not preaching the gospel of Christ. I was talking with some friends yesterday about preachers on TV who always preach The good parts of the gospel. The good parts of the gospel are God loves you. The good parts of the gospel are uh, um, God wants to bless you. All those things are true. But if I don't preach the 90% of the other parts of the gospel that says sin is going to wreck your life. Hell is real for eternity. If I don't preach that other stuff as well, I'm preaching a false gospel. Because everyone likes a positive person. Praise God, I think Jesus was a positive person. He was probably the happiest person that ever walked the face of the earth. But you know what he did when he saw the the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He said, you're a brood of vipers and offspring of snakes. And he didn't do it like the smiley preacher does. He did it and it cut right to the heart, right to the marrow. He called sin what it was. Legalism, self-worship, idolatry. 
They were there for reasons other than grace. They were there for reasons other than the true gospel. And what happened as I was reading these four examples that Jesus was putting forth, I found that in Scripture, Jesus gives us an explanation of all of these four. The first one, you don't have to turn there, I'll read, is in Matthew 22. Jesus is talking about a wedding banquet and a king who says to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come in. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servant went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad and the good, and the wedding was filled with guests. But when the king came in, he noticed a man that was not wearing the wedding clothes. So the king asked this man, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The man did not know why he was there. He did not know how he got there, and he did not know why he should stay there. He was just there because he thought that's what people were supposed to do. This represents a false convert that is within the fold of Christ, but has no clue what they're doing there. But this is what happens, and this is the danger of the positive preaching. Because this man who thinks he's in the fold of God and thinks he's on the roll, this is what he finds in Matthew twenty-two thirteen. It says, the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, friends, that's a very, very dangerous thing we're reading about in Scripture. We're reading that there are people who are there in the church for reasons other than the actual gospel. And these people will be cast into utter darkness for eternity, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so do you know what the job of the church should be, the job of the preaching should be? It should be focusing on the elements of, of actual conversion. We should, be, we should be showing that it's not just the religious things that, that show that we've been transformed by the gospel. And we're going to see what is the elements of actual conversion. But showing up is just not, that doesn't cut it. Because if you're here without the wedding clothes on, then there's not hope for us. I thought this morning as I come to preach this message, preaching is not an exciting thing. It's not like something I get you know, up in the morning and I say, man, uh, I have the greatest job in the world. It is a gut-wrenching thing. Sometimes I literally drive to church and want to vomit because my nerves are so sick about the spiritual reality of this message. And so this is not an easy thing to preach, but to be obedient to Scripture, I must. You see, my grandmother was a severe type 2 diabetic. One day I walked up to her house, and I found her sitting in the garage with her car running. The garage door was open, the car was running. I thought Grandma left her car running. I went up to the car door. She was sitting in the car holding a steering wheel. Might have been there 30 minutes. Her sugar was so low that she had lost her focus and awareness. I said, Grandma, what are you doing? She says, I don't know how I got here. And she says, I don't know how long I've been sitting here. So I took her in the house, got her some juice, some candy. But that's a picture of many Christians or so-called Christians. They're in the house of God with no clue what they're doing there, no clue how they got there. And they don't know if they're supposed to be there or not. They're just there for a reason other than the transformation of the gospel. This is the seed that fell to the wayside, but it was devoured by birds because they have not comprehended it. Now let me share something with you. Not understanding the gospel is not the same as not understanding your Bible. 
Some of you say, well, if I don't understand it, am I a false convert? Listen, I read the Bible many times and don't understand it. But I keep reading because I love it. You see, the, the difference is, this is a big book with a lot of fancy words, and I'm still learning a lot of it. I've got my whole lifetime ahead of me to do that. But the key is stick, stick to it. Stick to it reading it. It's not the problems of the Bible I don't understand with that, that cause me trouble. It's what I do understand that cause me the most trouble. I do understand that Jesus is Lord, and there's one way to heaven, and that it's, it's through faith in his name that we are saved. If you understand that, friend, you understand the gospel. The first person... It's a representative of a false convert is the one who does not understand. The second one is the one who does not trust. The one who does not trust. Matthew 13, verse 20, Jesus gives this explanation. He says, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they will last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Let me mention one of the greatest evils, the greatest dangers, the greatest heresies of the modern evangelical church. One of the greatest evils that has been done is to present the gospel, ask for a response, see people raise their hand, and then proclaim that they're saved. This is not the job of a pastor or the job of man. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. We had vacation Bible school last year, and someone asked me, well, how many kids got saved? That is not the litmus test for effective evangelism. The effective evangelist casts the seed, and some are going to spring up fast. And we have people that say, yes, I want that. They fill out a decision card. Yes, I want Jesus. And they respond with joy. But when trial and tribulation comes, they fall away. But here's what we've done. We've told that person, because you raised your hand, you are a Christian. And now they're going to live their life with a false sense of security because where the preacher said I'm saved, the preacher said I prayed a prayer, now I'm good to go. And I'm going to live the rest of my life thinking that what I did that day saves me when I have no true repentance and and, and a lifestyle of discipleship in my life. That That is an evil. So... What is the job of the evangelist? Cast the seed. When we went to Haiti, came back from Haiti, someone said, how many people got saved? I said, I don't know. You think we're going to know that in a week, how many were saved from the gospel that was preached? That's like me telling Bill Pallas when he goes and plants his seed in his garden, and he goes and he and he sows a bunch of corn, and I come back the day after he planted his seed, and I say, Bill, how many plants did you grow? That's a ridiculous question, isn't it? Because you don't sow seed to see a plant that day. You sow seed because there's going to come water, there's going to come nutrients, there's going to come sunshine, and that's going to bring forth what that seed was intended to do. So when we went to Haiti, we went down for a planting trip. Praise God, when we go back in February, maybe it'll be a harvest trip, and we'll see some fruit. But I don't know, but here's what I do know, that we plant the seed. And we rejoice in that. We don't, well, one kid got saved, and we spent all this money. That's not our job to declare who was saved or not. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I rejoice because seed was scattered. And here's the great thing. No one will be saved if there's no seed. So our job, plant the seed. I heard a guy tell me this past week, we were at the Cabarrus Baptist Association, and preachers get around, it's like a bodybuilding contest. Oh, we had 11 saved at our youth outreach last Friday. (laughs) 
I have never in two years of the church, two years of being pastor here, declared how many people have been saved. We talk about how many people have joined as members because we can see that. We've talked about how many people have been baptized. We can see that. But we do not see the heart of man. Bill Bright found in his study of of, uh, evangelistic outreach conferences, you have these huge evangelistic outreach conferences which will see literally thousands of people who respond to the gospel. And most of them respond with joy. And they'll come and say, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Two years later, he found that less than 5% was involved in church. Less than 5% of these people who signed a card and responded to the invitation were involved in the house of God, but yet they claimed, I've been regenerated by the power of Almighty God. And that is an evil, to give someone a false sense of security. If we'll just preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit will give you confirmation. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit will let you know. You don't have to ask a preacher. I don't have to ask my son, Roman, if he's hungry. When he's ready to eat, he'll cry and let somebody know. This is what a new convert will do. They're hungry for the word of God. They'll go find somebody to teach them. But what we've been doing is we've been following up with 95% of false converts who really don't want to be here in the first place. Jesus told the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. He says, a man came to him, a rich man, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? First thing, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because I'm popular and because I got people following me. Why are you calling me good? Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. Now this man didn't understand he was God. This is why Jesus said this. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Not give false testimony. Not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So on. The man, the rich man said, teacher, all these have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The one who does not trust and the one who's really excited about following Jesus until they realize it's gonna cost them something. Oh, yes, I love God. Oh, yes, I want to go to heaven, but don't ask me to give my money. Oh, yes, I love God. Oh, yes, I want to go to heaven, but don't ask me to show up 30 minutes for church to serve on the nursery team or in Sunday school or something like that because then it's going to cost me something. The one who doesn't trust haven't seen the power of grace in the gospel. They're in it because it's a popular thing, because this is what men do, and they're following God. And when it costs them something, when trouble or persecution comes, and they have to give up what is dear to them for the sake of the gospel, they fall away. And my friend, this is a false convert. And here in this scripture, we can substitute that word rich with many things. It actually, that word rich means many possessions. Here's the modern version of this. It's people who've got many things going on in their life. They've got many things. They are busy. So we could say how hard it is for the busy to enter the kingdom of God. There are the ones who say, I'm happy to be a part of a church as long as I don't have to do anything. Don't ask me to come on Saturday because I sleep in that day in the morning. Don't ask me to come Wednesday nights because I've worked all day long and I'm tired. I can't serve on the nursery Sunday morning because I didn't get home until very late. 
You know what it looks like to the modern church? It looks like busyness has become their idol. That they are worshiping busyness, being busy with things more than they are God. The idolatry of busyness is not a golden calf. It's a golden elephant. And it leaves no room for worship. See, when people are too busy to come to the house of God, yet they say, yeah, I believe in Christ, but uh, you know, I've got too much going on. I can't, I can't serve on a ministry team this year. Maybe once my kids move away, maybe once travel ball stops, maybe once all these things stop, then I'll get in the house of God. And guess what? Travel ball stops, and you know what? Well, we haven't taken vacations in, in 15 years, so we're going to go take three months off this summer, not going to see us around and everything, and on and on and on. When it costs something, they don't be found because they're not there. Because of the Holy Spirit. They're a false convert. The third false convert is the one who does not worship. Matthew 13, verse 22, he gives the explanation. Jesus says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That means everything else in their life robs their worship. Everything else in their life becomes more important than their worship in the house of God. There are many in church that will be involved in the church as long as they don't have to do anything. This is kind of a reiterated point. It is amazing what sacrifices people will make for their children when it comes to extracurricular activities. But when it comes to the house of God, they make excuses. I'm going to pick on some of my friends here. I've got some, some friends who are here and they play travel ball in Concord. Well, they knew that they were going to miss their church service today. So they came here to the early service four hours before their ball game so that they could still be at their ball and be in the house of God. You know what that is? That's dedication. That, that is not reorienting the house of God so that I can fit my schedule. That's re- reorienting my schedule so I can fit the house of God in. You see, the other spectrum says, well, if God fits in, then I'm going to come this Sunday. And that's when our, our, the worries of this world have been elevated above our worship. The opposite side says... I'm going to fit the house of God in regardless of what may come. I'm going to worship the Lord regardless if my life falls apart this week. Because God is my everything. I love him. He set me free from death, sin, hell, and the grave. Set my foot on a solid rock. And my life is about worshiping God. And let me tell you, for the true convert, you can't stop worship. It's going to worship in the, the, the jail cell or on the mountaintop. Everywhere for the true convert is going to be worship. And come hell or high water, they're going to find a way to give God praise. Jesus talked about another man preparing a wedding banquet. And he invited many guests. And it says at the time of the banquet, he sent his service, uh, servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, everything is ready. But they all began to make excuses. These are pretty humorous excuses, actually. I think Jesus used a lot of humor in his parables. The first one says, I've just bought a field. Now, that's a ridiculous argument. You want to come see a movie with me, Robert? No, I just bought a field. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's not going anywhere. Let's go have fun at a banquet. Your field's still going to be there. See, it's a ridiculous excuse. People will go to ridiculous lengths to come up with something to keep them from going to church. 
what Jesus was showing is that they're going to come up with something that doesn't make a hill of beans of difference. He's all, he didn't say, I'm going to buy a field. He says, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Let me tell you, it's going to be wide, dirty, with rocks. And then he says, another one said, I've just, spoke, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. <laughs> Pastor, I would come to church this Sunday, but we just bought a Lincoln Navigator. We're going to test drive this thing up in the mountains this weekend. I'm sorry, Pastor. Praise the Lord, that Lincoln Navigator is going to rust. It's going to be destroyed one day, along with everything else on this earth. We should not elevate the things, any material possession, whether it be oxen or houses or Mercedes, above our worship. And then another one said, he says, I'm inviting you to a banquet. It's going to be a festive event. And this way he says, I just got married. I can't come. It's like the men around the, the water cooler. They want to play basketball on Monday nights. Hey, you coming to play ball? No, nah, man, my wife shot that down. See, this is what he's saying. He's saying that something else in his life is keeping him from the king's banquet. It could be a woman. It could be a child. It could be a father. It could be a mother. Someone else was more important than the king. Let me tell you, my friend, if the king invites me to a banquet, praise the Lord, I'm going to show up to a banquet. I mean, I've got my wife. We're good to go. Praise the Lord, I'm going to bring my wife to the banquet. But I'm not going to let anyone else in my life get in the way between me and my worship. So here's what he said. He says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And sir, the servant says, what you ordered has been done. There is still some more room. And then the master told him, go out to the roads, the highways and the hedges, the roads and country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know who it's referring to? Jesus in this parable, he's saying, there's been many, many religious, high and lofty, prosperous people that think their prosperity on earth is what has defined them. And they will never taste the prosperity in heaven. They have elevated earthly treasure above heavenly treasure. Every single person in here elevated something above a heavenly joy. Could have been oxen, could have been a person, could have been a, a, a material possession. They said this is more important. He said, those who receive the invitation, they'll never taste it. But you know who Jesus calls? And this is good news. If, if we are on that roll, we're here because we were worthless. We're here because it was by grace alone. We did not boast ourselves up and say we needed to be saved. No, God says, you're a, a, a wretched, vile sinner, but I'm going to love you anyway. Praise the Lord, Brother Russ. He always says, <clears throat> are you going to be anything when you grow up? The honest truth is, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, none of us would be anything. And it's by his will alone that we are saved. Lastly, praise the Lord. Let's, let's review the false converts, the one who does not understand, the one who does not trust, the one who does not worship. But what about the true convert? It's the one who does not quit. 
The one who does not give up when the trials and tribulations come. It's the one when, when everyone else is going through a problem or everyone else is wigging out because the end of the world's coming and the, the economy's falling apart and God didn't bless me like the preacher on TV said he was going to bless me. They fall away. But when we don't quit, that's the litmus test. There's real salvation there. There's some real fruit and you don't judge it one day after a profession. You don't judge it one week after a profession. Maybe several years. And we look and say, yes, there's fruit. And it's not an overnight process. There's things we're still struggling with. But when we don't quit, that's a sign. The Holy Spirit has done an almighty work. Jesus said, finally, the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Some of you may say, I can't live like Pastor Jesse, I can't live like Billy Graham. Let me tell you, it's not about how big the crop was, it's about the crop was there at all. It doesn't matter if you produce 30 times the seed or if you produce 100 times the seed. The good news is there was real fruit. So the question that we must ask, is there fruit in our life? Is our life bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Can we look to our witness, our testimony, our worship, our involvement in our Christian community and says... God is working through me.